Good morning. Let me take a few informal moments before I read my uh, scripture to just say hello. I see lots of familiar faces and lots of unfamiliar faces. Uh, as as uh, It was a little bit shocking to do the math and find out how long ago it was that I left here. Uh, but uh, um, we have uh, great memories from our five years that we spent here. and. Uh, uh, so let me just, those of you who've been around, let me just give you a brief update. Carol, my wife, uh, went on to, and taught special education for 16 years in Arlington and uh, taught special needs kids with severe autism and uh, um, learned patience to deal with me through all of that, I think. But, uh, and then uh, we have three boys, Josh, who was 15 when we left here, is finishing toward the end of his career as a National Guard uh, full-time sergeant down in Kelso, served two, two uh, tours in Iraq, has four kids. And uh, our second son, Seth, uh, went to Pacific Lutheran University where he played basketball with Jason Mainers. Anybody remember Jason? Uh, was our next door neighbor. Actually, his senior year at PLU, he played basketball with three kids from 49th Street. They all started on the same team together and they were eighth grade soccer players together here. And uh, Seth is, um, married to Christine, and they have uh, three wonderful kids, another one coming in uh, November, right? September. September. <laughs> End of September. And uh, um, then, uh, and he is an Everett firefighter. After starting to become a teacher side, that's what he wanted to do. And our youngest, Jeff, uh, married his, uh, his high school church youth group sweetheart from uh, uh, Cedar Cross Church, where I was pastor, and uh, they have two uh, young boys and, and they have served as youth pastors at Cedar Cross Church for the past 11 years now. Since when I left, they hired them to be the youth pastors. And now he's an Everett police officer also. The jobs are closely related when you think about it. But uh, <laughs> um, he, uh, so we've had lots of changes there. So, you know, and I went from here to, I was down in Vancouver as a district superintendent, then I served in Mill Creek, and then for the past 11 years, I, I actually followed Brody Bro at Marysville, and uh, had a wonderful time there, and a year ago we retired, uh, well, changed sources of income, let's just say that, and uh, I've been working part-time for a university in Kenya, Kenya Methodist University, which has become my passion for the past 10 years, and uh, it's a great university that's grown from uh, uh, we're going to the 12th graduating class. Uh, I leave Tuesday, next Saturday will be a graduation. There'll be 3,000 graduates. We have 13,000 students on six campuses. It's an incredible story. And then I'm also on the school board in Marysville. Never thought I'd be a politician and I didn't mean to be, but that's what happens when you become friends with the school superintendent through Rotary. And, uh, and in fact, I'm getting even because he's going to Kenya with me this week and I'm putting him back to work. But uh, our, our life is good, and uh, uh, we are uh, enjoying retirement and uh, doing uh, a good bit of traveling and keeping moving, and we're enjoying it very much. So it's good to be back. Unfortunately, on November 11th, when you have your big 50th celebration, we won't be here because we scheduled a trip to Hawaii a year ago for that week, and it will be in Hawaii, a tough life, I know. but. Uh, but I must admit that hearing that made me feel old because we came back for the 25th. <laughs> so uh, it has been a while. So it's good to be here and to share and, uh, 
and I share our lesson for the day, which is the first nine verses of the book of Joshua, following the Exodus. We'll talk about that more later. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to you, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance to all that is written. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humanity and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he has ascended into the lower parts of the earth? He who ascended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens, so that he may fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some of the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, and as to each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is God's word. Yeah. 
Would you pray with me? Eternal God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the mysteries of our lives together in this time, in this place, in our culture, is that we live in a time of, even though economic hardship, I mean, we've been through the worst economic times in the last 50 years, correct? And, and if that's as bad as it gets, you know, did you go hungry? You know, we just didn't have the, as much and as comfort as we have come to expect. And, you know, why is it then, why is it that, that we feel so lost at times? Why is it we get up in the morning and we're not sure where to go and what to do, and, and we, we feel disheartened and, and struggle with life? And uh, I'm not gonna answer that question totally for you, obviously, but I, but I do wanna make some observations about the nature of what it is that gets us going from this story in Joshua. As I said earlier, I, I've spent a lot of time in Kenya. I'm, start, I'm going on my 12th trip on Tuesday. And, and living in that other culture for a good bit of time, I've, I've come to greatly value some things that, that Africans have that we don't. Now, one thing that I've come to value is that where we tend to find our security in stuff and in building up retirement funds and all that kind of things, right? Africans find their security in relationships, in friendships. And they collect people like we collect stuff. Now, we've lived in our house for 10 years now, and we're trying to discipline ourselves to go through as if we were moving and get rid of stuff, you know? And isn't it hard to get rid of stuff? We are so tied to our things and, and all of that that we think that gives us security. But I look at my friends in Kenya who have one one-hundredth of the stuff we do, but they have a richness in their relationships to one another that, that, that I think we miss a good bit of time. And I think closely related to that is something else that I see there, and that is a, something that I don't have a better word than to call zeal. They get up in the morning and they enjoy every day with a, a freedom and a lack of burden that, that is, 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 is marvelous. And, and you'll be driving down the road and you'll see these people that have nothing, we think, in all the things we value, but you know, they've got a smile on their face and their arm around the friend and they're, they're moving through life with a lightness that I don't find us experiencing very much in our world. And they remind me as I think our story today is meant to remind us of what's truly vital and important in life. Now, if you get to the back behind our story today, I, I wanna to kinda of go to the back story a little bit. Now, now, I know that some of you have done disciple Bible study and some of you know your Bible forwards and back, but, but I also know that for some of you, that whole story can just be this big jumble of names. So the, the setting for this story is this. You remember that, that 3,000 years ago, Abraham received the promise 
the promise that the people would have a new land and a place to live and they'd no longer be nomadic and lost and, and dependent upon the whims of the weather and, and, and finding pasture for their, their sheep and goats. And the Hebrew, Hebrew people, these wandering people, would have a home. And that vision grasped the people. And through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those wonderful stories down through Joseph, the people lived that dream, but their dream didn't go quite as they planned, and they ended up in Egypt as slaves. Now, we don't know all the details of that. One of the, the wonderful images is that they helped build the pyramids. And while that may or may not be literally true, essentially it is. They ended up in, in Egypt as slaves, either literally slaves or economically uh, made into slavery because they had to have the work because they had no other way to survive. And the promise seemed dim. But God sent Moses. And in his words, God said to, to Moses, let my people go. And Moses came, and you know all the stories, the Passover and all the plagues, and he led the people out across the Dead Sea into the wilderness of Sinai. One of my trips to Israel, we flew from Tel Aviv to, to Nairobi, right over Sinai. And I have never seen as desolate a place in my life. It is just rocks and rocks and more rocks and steep mountains. It is desert as, as deserted as you can imagine it. So given that, God guided those people through that wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they moved and they made their way through the wilderness. And in the midst of all the craziness of the people, God, they found God. They found the covenant. They, they learned Moses say to them that, that we have a God and we are God's people. And they got the Ten Commandments. They got their way. And at the end of the 40 years, they came out of the wilderness to the River Jordan. And for whatever reason, God in God's way, Moses died at that point and was not able to see the people move from the wilderness to the promised land. And it's that moment that the paragraph I read to you happens. Moses has died, and Joshua is the, the new leader, Moses' assistants promoted. And he now has the task of leading the people across the Jordan, and into the promised land. Now, we, we have to practice a little bit what I call preacher's license at this point, because the fact is that we'd only have this paragraph because Joshua talked about it, correct? Because if he hadn't talked about it, we'd never know. So you kind of have to to work with me to get behind it to figure out what was he saying and why do we have this, this, this marvelous paragraph that talks about that. Well, I, I, for me, I like to just think of it this way. Joshua had an incredible task before him. He had to fill Moses' shoes. You ever had a, in a position in your life where you had to step into a position 
where you had to fill big shoes before you. You know, I followed Brody after he'd been at Marysville for 11 years and built a new building and doubled the size of the congregation. You know, it was humbling. And it was a challenge to step in and, and take over somebody else's thing, you know. I remember Paul Beeman saying to me three years after I left here, one day I was in a meeting with him and he tapped me on the shoulder and he says, you know, I've been there three years and I finally feel like it's not your church, but my church. You know, pastors go through that. You go through that in, in other ways. And, and, and that's where poor Joshua was. He had to take on all of those shoes that Moses had walked in. But not only that, the path that he had to walk in those new shoes in led into possible war and conflict and all kinds of unknown burdens of the future. And isn't there, is there any one of us that can't make tomorrow a whole lot more complicated than it'll look day after tomorrow? You know, as we start trying to lay out all the, the options and all the things that might, could, maybe, all that. And we can make tomorrow look very, very daunting when it's unknown. And that's where poor Joshua was. He's, and so I imagine him getting up kind of discouraged and down and disheartened one morning and walking up to a hill beside the camp where he could look back and see the wilderness of Sinai. And he could turn the other way and he could look across the River Jordan into the promised land. He looked back and he thought of all of that, that past that led to this point. And he could say to himself all those things that he knew that God had led the people, given them the promise, led them through the wilderness, provided them with water and food and guidance and all those things to bring them to this point. Who could fear where they go tomorrow when you look back at that past? And then he could turn and, and look across the Jordan and say, you know, that promise has been our promise for 3,000 years that God would provide us with a home. And I, I'm not doing anything new. This is what I'm supposed to do, what we're supposed to do. But that doesn't take care of the problem, does it? Is there any one of us can sit and look back now over, over 5,000 years of history and that promise, that promise that God would provide us with a new kind of kingdom and Jesus came and, and Jesus promises that to us, not just in terms of some heavenly kingdom after we die, yes, that, but more than that, Jesus promises us that when we align ourselves with, with the way of Jesus, we become part of the reign of Jesus in this new kingdom of God that's present now as well as in the future. And we're part of the new today. And so he could look back and he could look forward and then he says, but I still am the one in the middle stuck, right? And I suspect you have the same experience. You, you can do your Bible study and you can claim that, that, that past and that history and all that's gone before. And you know the promise. You know that you're part of this great parade of saints and, and where you're headed. But we still can get up in the morning and feel depleted and disheartened. And that's where I think this passage comes in. Now, this, this, the way this was written wouldn't make a, a good college freshman essay, right? 
Three times in four sentences, the writer says, be strong and of good courage. Didn't they have thesauruses in those days? Why do you use the same word over and over and over again? Well, it's something about those words. Be brave and of good courage. Now, bravery we understand, okay? You know, I, bravery comes in many forms, but, but I usually associate bravery with brash young men and a little bit too much testosterone and all of that. I mean, that's not fair, but you know what I mean. Bravery is generally impulsive acts of, of self-sacrifice or something that someone will do, or something that, frankly, is stupid, but they do it anyway and they survive, right? Courage, though. Courage is something else. When you say someone fought a courageous battle with cancer, it means something much more profound than they were brave. It means that somewhere deep within them, there was something that you see that you call courageous. And I love to take words apart. And if you take the word courage apart, you find the same root word as coronary. Courageous means to have heart heart. And we use the word that way. You know, uh, I'm on the school board in Marysville, and, and you know that, that public schools have been going through tremendous financial pressures the last few years. I've only been on the board a year and a half, and in that time, we've only had to cut $10 million out of a $100 million budget after they cut $15 million before that. So this year, we were hoping, since the legislature and the courts have ruled, that maybe it would be better. Well, it was better but when we got to the bottom line, we still had to cut two and a half million. And I remember one of the board members leaning back in their chair, one had been there a long time, and said, this is disheartening. Will you, will you say, talk about the word disheartening. It kind of takes the steam out of you sometimes to, when, the, when the difficult realities hit. And we, and we use the word courage that way. Don't you talk about being discouraged and encouraged? Carol and I have been, for the last 15, 16 years, uh, going to the Fifth Avenue Theater. And a few weeks ago, we went to see um, Damn Yankees. You remember the, heart, the song from there, the manager sings? We need to teach it to Eric Wedge, but you gotta have heart, miles and miles and miles of heart, okay? That's, that's a profoundly theological statement because, you see, in the, in the Old Testament mind, and the New Testament mind, for that matter, the people of the Middle East saw the place at which we make the most profound decisions of our life is in our heart, not in our head, or in our emotions, but in our heart. So if someone truly means something with their whole being, it means they made the decision in their heart. We still use the word that way, right? We'll say somebody decided to do X, but their heart wasn't in it. Right? It means their whole being wasn't aligned with that goal. So to have courage is to have heart. To have courage is to have the very heart of our being lifted. And so as Joshua stood up, sat up on that rock that day, looking at his past and his fore, and looking at the promise, what he was really searching for was something to fill his heart, to lift his heart to encourage him, to hearten him on this journey. 
And he found it. And he came down the hill, and when he described to the people what happened, however it was, when it was recorded, the message that we hear is, be strong and of good courage. And you remember that, that uh, he says in there, um, no one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land. God spoke to him and filled his heart. And I think here is the model for where you and I can find uh, the power we need to face each day with a full heart. You know the past. And just like uh, Joshua stood on that mountain and looked back at all Moses had done and all Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had done and the, the, how the promise had been fulfilled over the centuries before him, you can do the same. That's what Bible study is all about. Looking at what God has done throughout history and throughout, so we know that we are not starting something new, but we are part of a great parade of work of God. And that can give us strength and heart. But as we look into that gray fog of the future, the promise is there, but the promise is always a little bit hazy, isn't it? But like all those who've gone before us, we can develop the faith to trust our way through the haze if we, if we work at it. But you see, our problem's not in the past or the promise. Our problem's right now, isn't it, in the present? That's when we're weak. That's when we struggle. But you remember what the most common words that appear in the Psalms are? Our God is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And I think that's what Joshua encountered on that mountain that day. He encountered the loving presence of God who allowed the past to become powerful, the promise to become real, and he was then able to feel heartened and ready to go. And so for you, the promise is the same way. If you'll find a way, you know, traditionally they call it devotions, but it happens in all kinds of ways, that when you find yourself disheartened, discouraged, depressed, struggling to face what the day may bring. Remember the story of Joshua. And find yourself a little rock to sit on and look back, look back at the past. Look back and see all the things that have gone to bring you to the point you are and see if you don't see yourself as part of something much larger than yourself. And then look at the promise. Turn around and look to the future. And while it may be hazy, Remember that it was hazy for every one of those people who led you this far and brought us to where we are. And then come back to the present and take a deep breath. And remember that God's presence in our lives heartens us. And when, when the psalmist says that God is you know, slow to anger and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, what the psalmist means is God understands what it's like for us to be overwhelmed. And, the, and, and I think being overwhelmed may be the beginning of wisdom at that point. 
Because if one isn't overwhelmed, one begins to think they can do it on their own. And so be humbled. One can then accept the power that God offers us to be part of something incredibly much more than we are. I was in Washington, D.C. last year for a school board conference, and we stumbled into the Library of Congress bookstore. And we're just wasting time waiting for a meeting to start. And I saw a book, a, a paperweight. Now, why I would buy a paperweight now that I have a totally electronic office and my, my work is all over the world, so it's all on the computer, but I couldn't resist buying it. And I paid an outrageous amount for this little plastic thing. And it says, education is what you have left when you've forgotten everything you've learned. Education is what you have left when you've forgotten everything you've learned. And I would suggest to you that courage, courage is what we have left as Christians when we've forgotten all the stuff we've learned about our faith. And just experience the power of God in the present to put the past and the future into perspective. So Joshua found the strength he needed on that mountain, on that morning. And you can find it any morning you need it by remembering your past and claiming your presence and, and, and living in the presence of the mighty, loving, gracious God we have. Pray with me. Great God, when we find ourselves overwhelmed by what's out there and underwhelmed by our ability to see the future, help us. Help us to claim the promise. Help us to know the past and help us to live in your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.